All right, Josie, thank you for taking the time today. Thank you for being here. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So I want to rewind the clock, start at the very beginning, know more about your life, your upbringing, and the musical influences that ultimately shaped your your early years and how you got into music. Um, I think probably my father uh, was my biggest influence. He was a, a preacher when I was a kid, and I started out playing in church with him, uh, and I started out as a drummer when I was five, I was beating on pots and pans and stuff at home. And my parents sort of gave me an outlet, uh, by setting me on stage with my pops at church and, uh, him and my sister would play and sing, uh, like before and after he would preach, uh, we were like his opener and closer or whatever. And, um, uh, I just got back there and started beating on the drums instead of beating on pots and pans. Uh, and, I'm really glad that that happened because I developed a long relationship with drums. Sorry, my puppy is. Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> She's welcome. Um, She's in the interview. Uh, I, I, I began to, uh, you know, develop a, a relationship with beats and timing uh, early in my life. And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, you know, because it certainly shaped me as a songwriter and uh, as a a singer. Absolutely. I think all good singers are good drummers, you know, like Steven Tyler and Dave Grohl and uh, guys like that. So, uh, you know, Sully Erna, all those guys are great, great drummers. Um, and I think that makes you a better singer. So my dad was a big influence of mine, of course. Um, around that same time, I, we used to go over to this kid's house that was the assistant pastor's son. And he was like the black sheep of the family and he didn't go to church. And he was, I think he was like 12 or 13 years old. And he had all these cool posters in his room and lava lamps and fishnet hanging from his ceiling. And, uh, he had, I remember he had this old crate of records and it said peaches records down the side of it. And I used to just sit and go through his albums and just, it just took me, transported me to another world, you know, and we would sit there and listen to like queen and kiss and Ted Nugent and Boston and all that cool seventies rock. Um, when I was a, uh, uh, five or six years old. And I remember thumbing through his albums and seeing the kiss destroyer album cover. And I was like, at five years old, I was like, I don't really know what this is, but I want to, I want to be this when I grow up, whatever this is, that's what I want to be. And I felt my heart click like the same feeling I got when my children were born the same feeling I got when I got married. I had that same feeling at that moment at five years old. I remember it like it was yesterday. That's unreal. Well, speaking to speaking some more to that, your voice in many ways has really been the soundtrack, I think, for a lot of people. And just the immense commercial success you had, especially in your, your career, I would like for you to speak, if you can, just to those early formative years of saliva 
and kind of how that came to be and then just go through that experience with me organically. Well, um, like I said, I had played drums for years. Uh, I had sort of taken that as far as it would go, I guess. Um, I've been in several bands and, um, you know, uh, and I, I remember looking down at my hands one day in, in my bedroom at my mother's house and my hands were bleeding and blood was like dripping off my elbows. And I was like, wait a minute, I, I can sing. I, I remember I had been singing since I was about nine years old. And I remember being like 16 or 17 years old going, I can sing. I think I'm done playing drums. <laughs> I think I'm going to be a singer. So, and I had always, you know, admired uh, great singers like Ozzy and um, Freddie. You know, I loved the Rolling Stones. I loved Brian Johnson and ACDC. Um, I, I loved um, that uh, that sort of rock and roll, but I also grew up in Memphis. So I had a full exposure, uh, a heaping helping of rhythm and blues, uh, you know, with, with, uh, Elvis, obviously. And I grew up around my parents used to listen to Otis Redding and, uh, Marvin Gaye and, um, the temptations and, uh, stuff like that. So, uh, I had a you know a, a good size helping of, of R and B and blues as well growing up in Memphis, and then hip hop came along. You know, uh, I discovered the Beastie Boys, and then I discovered Run DMC, and then I discovered Public Enemy, and I discovered uh, later on I discovered N.W.A. and I discovered um, you know of course Tupac and Biggie and stuff like that, and just huge huge influences on my life just just as big as rock and roll if not bigger um and and you know when my dad was a preacher in my younger formative years i wasn't allowed like most kids most uh pk most preachers kids i wasn't um allowed to have rock and roll records so i uh, ended up listening to the radio, depending uh, on pop radio. Collected, quick, and uh, I just decided, you know, I know I can sing because my my father had, uh, you know, been really instrumental in in teaching me and my sister, uh, you know, to uh, make the best of the talents that that uh, were given to us and. Uh, to not waste our talent and, uh, you know, not that I was some Juilliard virtuoso, but um, my dad was definitely a stage dad, you know, and my mother too, uh, pushing me and my sister to uh, play an instrument. You know, you had to play an instrument. Uh, I've seen an interview with David Lee Roth that talked about his his mom and dad uh, pushing him to be an artist. And, uh, my parents were definitely like that. They, they pushed me and my sister to, um, be involved in, in music, uh, in, in music at school and to, uh, play several different instruments. I played, uh, drums. I played, uh, the viola, which is a little oh, bit wow. bigger than a violin. Uh, at school, uh, played um, 
the trumpet for a little while. I also uh, played drums as well in the high school band and football, if you can imagine. Um, so I was always really involved, uh, super involved in music. Uh, me and my, my sister grew up singing uh, together with my dad. Uh, my dad was an amazing uh, sort of, he did gospel music, but he also did country uh, music as well. And he was like one of these uh, Johnny Cash, uh, Merle Haggard type, George Jones type guys. So I grew up with that rich sort of outlaw country, Tennessee backwoods, you know, um, upbringing of good, rich country music. And at the same time, I wasn't allowed to have metal records because my father was a preacher. Uh, so I had to depend on eighties pop radio. So I listened to a lot of Casey Kasem's American top 40. <laughs> and I listened, uh, uh, after Rick D's took over, I remember getting my little ca cassette tapes ready and recording the top 40 songs every week and being so excited, you know, <clears throat> to hear like Michael Jackson and, um, uh, Whitney Houston and um, uh, Janet Jackson. Um, I I loved other pop groups like Duran Duran and The Cure and uh, U2 and, you know, George Michael, I thought, had a beautiful voice. So I grew up with all these, you know, just a cornucopia of different influences and um styles of music and I'm, I'm I wouldn't have it any other way I, I try to to do that with my children uh, early on in their life I, I establish timing in their life I, I, I sit at the dinner table with them and I'll uh, will I'll I'll slam my knife and fork on the table and be like one two three four one two and I show them where the one and the four is because I want to install that hardware, if you will, in their little minds, because as they get older, it, it sticks with them. You know, the things you teach your children, they'll, they'll come back to it. If you hardwire it good and bad, it, they'll, they'll, it'll hardwire into their brains. So uh, I've tried to do that with my kids too, like, like my father did with me. Um, but yeah, you know, um, I started out with, with that sort of wide birth of uh, 80s pop um, radio. And after I got a little older, I started to pick out, pick and choose things that I really enjoyed, like ACDC and Ozzy and uh, Metallica. And, um, you know, later on, I picked out, like I said, uh, the Beastie Boys and Run DMC and, uh, all that good, rich hip hop flavor. And then growing up in Memphis, you know, I grew up with the guys from three, six mafia. I grew up around DJ oh. Paul and juicy J and project Pat and little white and all those guys too. So, you know, it was not uncommon for us to go to each other's shows and then have shows together. You know, you might, uh, Early on in the late 90s, you could have literally 
called a show in Memphis where Saliva was opening for Three Six Mafia, or uh, and and as as recent as a couple of months ago, you can see Little White playing with my band. You know what I mean? It's just we've always just sort of mixed and matched like that, and and not thought anything about it. Like if you saw that in another town, you'd be like, "What is happening right now?" You know what I mean? But it, it we just uh, <clears throat> always had no problem mixing styles um because memphis is kind of like the liverpool of the south you know it, there's all these different uh you know there's stacks records there otis reddings from there and uh you know um uh just albert king and bb king and all these amazing amazing artists uh that come from that area and you know, the Memphis horns and uh, just all this rich, rich R&B music along with blues music. You know, W.C. Handy's credited with creating blue. The You know, part of the Delta Blues is accredited to him. And then, you know, uh, Elvis is, is uh, said to have been in the room when rock and roll was conceived or born or something. I don't know, but I, I think that even Elvis Presley, uh, I've read earlier interviews with him where he gave credit where credit was due and accredited uh, the rock and roll sound to to guys like Fats Domino and Little Richard, who were Little Richard is absolutely 100 percent, in my opinion, the absolute father of rock and roll. He just is. He was the first guy to wear eyeliner, for God's sakes. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was the original prince. And, um, so, uh, growing up with influence, growing up in, in a, a melting pot of different influences, like, uh, like there was in Memphis, Tennessee, it just, I wouldn't have wanted, wanted to grow up anywhere else unless it was, you know, New, New York or, or Los Angeles. And, and then still, I would still want to grow up a style of of music that that comes from there. It's just so real. You can smell it. I love it. Of course. Well, I've always been inspired by you being from the South. I grew up in Georgia, and so that was ah. so you played a role in my history. Let's speak to iconography a little bit because I'm not sure if you will adhere to this moniker, but you truly are one of the 2000s rock stars to this day. And I find it so, so fascinating. Kind. No, of course, but your personal style, Josie, is something I want to touch on before we continue with music. I want to paint a brief picture for you. So I first came across your voice, I believe, in the 90s test drive video game. And then again in the Fast and Furious, you might remember the scene where, of course, Vin Diesel and Paul Walker's characters are racing. That, uh, yeah. Such a formative scene, but this ties directly into not only your voice, but your personal style. I feel like everything about that era was so very you. Could you speak to where you got your aesthetic from? I know that's kind of random. Where your aesthetic came from, just in terms of style, dress, everything. Well, just always, um, you know, growing up around... Uh, and always hearing stories about Elvis Presley and he used to go around, you know, Elvis grew up in uh, around church and he would, 
sneak over uh, and go to the black churches in Memphis and see what the see what the black gospel cats were wearing and what kind of styles uh, of clothing they were wearing and and then he would sneak over to Beale Street at night and see what the blues cats were wearing you know and and he used to go to this place on on Beale Street actually called Lansky's Clothing Emporium and Mr. Lansky actually made Elvis some really custom pieces and Elvis was not afraid to wear you know, a pink blazer with blue trousers and, and polka dotted socks, which in the fifties was just unheard of. You just mm-hmm. didn't do that. You know what I mean? If you did not look like a cookie cutter man in the fifties, you know, with a black and white suit, you know, you had to look like men in black or you were rejected. Not, not just, it wasn't just unacceptable, but you were rejected from society. And mm-hmm. Elvis wasn't afraid of that, you know, and he wasn't afraid to wear uh mascara and he wasn't afraid he wasn't afraid to do these things so growing up around that and sort of picking little things out from that as a child I always thought to myself well why do women get to intensify the way they look and it's wrong for a man to intensify the way he looked because I just saw it as Mm-hmm. As in, as uh, intensifying what you had, what 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 God gave you, you know what I mean. Oh, and okay. um, that as a little kid, even that's how my brain worked. So, you know, when my dad would, you know, threaten to, you know, get on to me because I was playing in my mother's makeup, you know, I just didn't understand why that was bad or wrong, you know, because I didn't know all the other connotations that went with it. So I I didn't, I just didn't see it as bad or or wrong. And still to this day, of course, don't see it as bad or wrong. Um, So I just always enjoyed, you know, being different and, experimenting with makeup and as soon as my parents allowed me to I dyed my hair you know like I think as early as I've been dyeing my hair black since I was 14 years old just simply because Elvis did it I thought I have to dye my hair black I have to know what is in this black hair dye that makes you just a cooler person and uh so you know experimented with my hair at an early age and experimented with with my clothing at an early age and i just always had this driving uh i don't know it's almost like a spiritual artistic core inside of me that just wants to continually push the envelope and continually be different you know i've i've taken it to the the imp's degree in extremes you know when when i was in blackbone before i was in saliva blackbone was my band uh my my first really big successful band there in memphis and i wore dresses on stage i just wanted to see how far i could go basically and and i grew up just in love with artists like uh like i said duran duran and boy george and uh, and then later on, Prince and Michael Jackson. My God, the first time I saw Michael Jackson on the Soul Train Awards, I was like, I was that perfect age that you needed to be to see that on television. I think I was 11 or 12 when Michael Jackson busted out the moonwalk on 
the Soul Train Awards, and the first time I heard Billie Jean, I, I thought I was, I literally thought I had been shot into outer space, man. Like, I, I, I started to cry. I was, I didn't know what was happening to me, dude. I was just freaking out, and my parents are sitting on the couch going, what the hell is happening to our child? But I was just that lost in the art of it man it, it just even talking about it to this day i get emotional at at 51 years old you know i i still get that feeling you know it still rekindles that fire and in, inside of me of just like my imagination like any child my imagination could take me anywhere you know i could go inside of my ma imagination and transport myself to to any place and and uh I could, I could play any kind of music and and there were no rules or or no boundaries you know what i mean there was uh no strictures on what i could or couldn't do um so you know i i've always experimented with different hair styles and uh different makeups and you know kiss being one of my main influences uh when I was five or six years old, I was like, you know, like I said earlier, I was like, I don't even know. I was too young to even know what that was. And I remember telling Kevin Brock, the guy that was the black sheep of the family, he, I, I remember saying, Kevin, I don't even know what this is, but I want to be this when I grow up. And I remember uh, going to school with his Kiss Destroyer album cover. He let me take it to school. And I remember the other kids the teacher going around and going, okay, Johnny, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he was like, I want to be a fireman. And then they'd go over and say, okay, Susie, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she'd be like, I want to be a doctor. And then they go, okay, Joseph, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I don't know, but I want to be this. <laughs> and I just, just held that destroyer album cover above my head. And again, I've gotten this look a lot in my life. The teacher just goes, Absolutely. like, just jaw on the floor because I'm five years old and I have a Kiss album cover inside her classroom. But, you know, I unrepentantly, unabashedly felt that way, just always. You know, I've always wanted to, uh, it, like I said, experiment with different styles and different makeups and, 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 you know, musical styles have, have been no different for, for me. You know, I, I have experimented uh, with hip hop. I've experimented with rock. I love pop music. You know, most guys are too, a little too metal to admit that they love popular music. But they're, my, my father, growing up, and one thing my father taught me, I'm sorry for the long answer, but. No, please. One thing my father taught me when me and my sister were a kid was he said, there's, there's two kinds of music. There's good music and there's bad music. And that just opened up, uh, this whole other realm to me, you know, of, okay, it's okay. If I like, uh, you know, Elvis and little Richard and three, six mafia and, um, kiss and, ACDC and Ozzy and Cyndi Lauper and Madonna and uh, Michael Jackson. You know, I, I was just not afraid to go any anywhere that my ears took me. And um, I try to 
I try to have that influence on my children as well. I don't, I don't hold them back from anything that they love. Well, you absolutely have served as a wealth of knowledge on music. You've discussed things that I never would have considered for our conversation. And it's interesting getting in your head. And I hate to contrast something so deep with something a bit superficial, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask about a few moments that people remember from your career personally. So for example, I touched on Test Drive. I touched on The Fast and the Furious being moments in my mind. But a lot of people, of course, remember you from MTV Cribs. Very random. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they had mentioned that going into the interview. And also, um, of course, the Hero music video with Chad Kroger. And if you could just walk me through maybe a few of these instances that stand out in your mind, I would just love to hear from your perspective. Well, it's it's so funny because I haven't talked about that episode of MTV Cribs in in years and I just talked about it the other day with my friend and uh he was asking me uh you know how did you have all how did you he was like wait a minute he goes because we we knew uh Memphis really well and he goes you live in Bartlett outside of Memphis in Bartlett and I was like yeah because Bartlett's not you know where you would expect an MTV Cribs to be filmed you know it's just basically East East Memphis. And so uh, I said, yeah, man, you know, I, I, he goes, well, how'd you have it filmed in Bartlett? I said, I'd never owned a house. I said, I bought the house 11 days before they filmed the MTV Cribs. And he goes, well, where'd you get all those cool cars? I said, I didn't own a car, bro. I called up all my friends. Thank God I had all these friends that had cool cars and i was like i was like hey james can you bring your bmw over i i don't have a car and i and i got on the phone with my other friend and i'm like hey sean can you bring your uh cadillac escalade over i don't have a car man I, and mtv's coming dude and i don't know what i'm gonna do so and i had all these neighbors uh my neighbor across the street had one of those zz top uh, I think it was a 41 Chevrolet that had this backwards opening suicide doors. And uh, he lent me his car. He brought his car over. And then um, just other neighbors in town were, would bring, were, were bringing their cars, their old Corvettes over. And uh, uh, somebody brought a, a Smokey and the Bandit type uh, 78 a Trans Am over and thank God I had friends because I didn't have cars and I barely had a house. So, uh, but you know, uh, MTV was, was very sweet and, and, and really cool. Uh, and I, I, I had a, that was a, a big learning experience for me. Of course. Of course. Well, it was an iconic episode. Like I said, it's one of the deeper cuts on the internet, but people are very familiar with it, I know, because they've made mention of it to me. Um, with regards to the Hero music video, I have to touch on that because the way you looked in that video, okay, it was iconic. You're up there with Chad, of course, for Spider-Man, but what was that experience like in general? Or did you, was it just kind of par for the course for your career at the time? You're so kind with your comments. Thank you so much. Um, You're welcome. It was, you know, it was a whole new world for me. I'm not going to, 
to sit here and flage, as we say in the South, and and say that, oh, you know, it was just, you know, par for the course or whatever. It wasn't. It was a, it was a, you know, we had just gotten signed. Uh, we, we hadn't been signed very long at all. We'd, we'd uh, only had one album, um, and we're, we're working on our next record at the time. And, you know, we had had some success with your disease. And of course, click, click, boom, took off like a rocket ship. And so I was like, okay, okay, I can breathe. Okay. This is, this is what this feels like. Okay. You know, uh, and uh, Lior Cohen, who's one of the godfathers of hip hop uh, was the head of uh, Island Def Jam at the time. And I remember him uh, coming to me and he goes, he's, he's like, sort of sounds like Dolph Lundgren. He's, um, uh, he's like an Israeli special forces guy. And uh, he was literally in the Israeli uh, military. And uh, he, he would, uh, he called me on the phone and he goes, Josie, you've had, he goes, you've had your whole life to write your first album. He goes, you have, six weeks to write your next one what will you do and i was like oh that's true i do have six weeks to write the next one i was like oh my god and he you know i had heard about the sophomore jinx and you know groups being one hit wonders and i just all this pressure and i was just like oh god you know what i gotta i gotta come up with the goods you know what i mean and then uh thank god a song like always came out because uh, me and the uh, producer Bob Marlette were just like we were just like husband and wife during that record, and um, and the guys in the band too uh, helped definitely helped me write that record. But Bob just knew how to get he just knew how to get it done with me. He knew what buttons to push in me. He knew how to pick the lock with me, and you know I would get frustrated and. He would go, Josie, if this was easy, everyone would do it. And I'd just be like, he'd drop some knowledge on me, you know what I mean? And and it, that would push me to go forward. And, uh, you know, if it hadn't been for, for a Bob Marlette, I don't know where we would have ended up. But, you know, uh, thank God there was a, a, a brilliant producer like Bob Marlette working with us. And then Lior called me and said, uh, you know, uh, I've talk to the guys at Roadrunner and they want to put their best guy forward or their best rock guy forward. And he goes, I'm going to put my best rock guy forward, which is you. And I'm like, I'm not your best rock guy. Like, that's crazy. Like, I'm not the best rock guy you have. And he's like, no, I want to get you guys in the same room. I know something special is going to happen, you know, and he just had this blind faith that something great was going to come out of it. And I totally didn't. And, um, you know, I, I flew up to Vancouver. I'd never been to Canada before. Uh, Vancouver is an amazing city. And, you know, Chad Kroger was hella successful by then. And he just rolled out the red carpet in Vancouver and showed me his city and took me to this, took me all these nice restaurants and showed me his home studio. And I met the guys in, um, uh, I, I, I met the guys in his band and, um, uh, you know, we got in a room together and 
he he actually wanted to do a song that was more like click click boom and i was Mm. like that's cool and i said we can definitely do that i said but i kind of i've done that you know what i mean i want to continue to stretch myself and and this situation and see see what else we can come up with oh theory of a dead man i got to meet those guys too i was really excited about that yeah and um got to do a lot of touring with those guys and uh they're just sweethearts. Love those guys so much. And, um, you know, got to learn a lot from Chad in the studio about, uh, how he works and, uh, you know, he produces himself and, uh, learned a lot about the technology, uh, of the day and, and about pro tools and everything. And, um, so he said, well, I, I got this one song. He goes, but the guys in the band said it's not a Nickelback song. And I'm like, well, show it, you know, show, show it to me. Let's, let's, let's see it. And so he showed me the, the nuts and bolts of what was going to be hero. And I was just like, like my jaw was on the floor. I was like, dude, that's great. That's really good, man. And so we spent about two hours working out the, the harmonies and the, uh, the, the, uh, the breakdown and everything. And I I feel really lucky and fortunate that he gave me a songwriting credit on that. Um, probably, uh, reluctantly, but I, I really appreciate, uh, the, the way, you know, Chad couldn't have been nicer to me. I, I, I love him to death. And, um, so when we when we got the song uh really tightened up and it was it was really popping and cooking i was i told my a and r guy rob stevenson i was like dude you got to get in here you you, you got to get in here you got to hear this and uh so he came in the room and then we busted it out in front of rob stevenson and played it just like it is uh in the video and on the movie soundtrack and and he was just like this is gonna be really special uh you know then i sort of left vancouver and everything was so crazy at that time i went right back on tour with saliva and right back to finishing up the next record and i sort of forgot about it i put it i I didn't forget about it but i just sort of put it out of my mind because everything else was right in front of me you know uh, uh all those shows and 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 spending time with the fans is really important to me and 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 reaching people on a personal level is really important to me so i just had a lot more going on and then one day somebody came up to me uh, i knew the song had come out and then somebody came up to me on the street in new york city i think in the times square area and they said oh uh spider-man the Spider-Man song, Hero, good, good song, man. And I'm just like, what the hell is happening? So, and then after the video came out, it, it just exploded after that. And then we went on tour in Europe for uh, the first time. And I remember, man, I could, I could have cried. I was walking down the street in Spain and these little kids were chasing me down the street saying, Senior Spider-Man, Senior Spider-Man. And it was just, it was just a, a, 
that other rare air, you know, that you go, that you float into when a song is doing uh, really, really well. As they say, uh, I I heard a record company guy tell me one time, he said, there's an old saying in the record industry that hits solve everything. And that certainly was the case and you know it was nominated for all kind all these awards and it was nominated for an american music award and then it was nominated for a grammy and uh, or nominated for three grammys and um it was just a, a absolute thrill ride you know to be a part of that and i'm so grateful and thankful to to chad and to leor cohen for inclu- including me in that absolutely well you know, I think that really touches upon some milestones in your journey. And it's really interesting because I'm just, I'm just stunned at how many instances, uh, or I should say the effect your work has had on me personally over the years. And looking to the contemporary, beginning in 2011, Josie, you made a significant shift from saliva to pursue a solo career. And I'd like to know more about what motivated this change and how it has influenced your personal growth and your musical growth. Well, I was really concerned um, in, in 2010 and 2011. I, I, I was I was really concerned about my health. I was concerned about my sobriety. I was concerned about. I had just. I think. All of us in saliva, all the original guys in saliva, we had just sort of stayed at the party too long. And, you know, at first it starts out as you're just having fun and you're just, you know, you want to do it all and taste it all and spend it all and, you know, do all these things. Because we had never had money. We were, you know, five poor guys from Memphis, Tennessee, we had never had a, I had never seen more than a thousand dollars, you know, at a time and to be exposed to that much money and, uh, to that much, uh, exposure to the public eye, you know, at one time, uh, I heard, I think it was Dave Chappelle said one time there, there should be a class that you take that teaches you, uh, how to deal with a business manager and how to deal with money for the first time and how to deal with exposure for the first time. And mm-hmm. I think Island and Def Jam tried to do that. Uh, they, they definitely tried to train us in how to deal with the press and uh, how to um, answer questions and uh, how to not get caught up in, um, you know, debates about different things and, uh, certain hot button topics that you don't that are a hot stove that you kind of want to stay away from, um, and you know I just try to keep it true to myself. I try to keep it uh, true to the fans, and I try to keep it about what it is, which is spreading light and love to the fans and exchanging that light and love and apathy and respect with them every night. That's that's ultimately what it all boils down to for me, uh, whether I'm playing, you know, uh, old saliva music or or uh, the new music that I'm writing now. 
it's all about that exchange of energy uh, and emotion with with the fans and spreading love and and uh, spreading you know acceptance and uh, just you know hearing people say every night. Uh, one of the really common denominators that I hear with the fans is your music really helped me through a time in my life where I needed someone to help me through. And, you know, you're, they'll say like your music got me through really shitty parents or your music got me through a, a bad, a bad marriage or uh, an abusive partner or, you know, things of this nature. And to, to hear that is just the ultimate compliment to me you know i'm not one of those people i mean everybody loves to be stroked of course but i don't i don't necessarily want to be uh have my ego stroked or pumped up as much as i want to have that moment with a fan that lets me know that i got them through when nothing else would help them through you know when when they let me know that the, that that music served a purpose for them uh, is the ultimate compliment to me. Absolutely, no. I I think if if you were to survey other artists, they would say the same thing. I think that probably is the most prolific thing you could do on a human level is to to be omnipresent in someone's life when they feel like nobody else is, but your art is there for them. I appreciate you saying that. Absolutely. Yeah, and that brings us really, you know, Josie, to the to the present and to really the final questions of our conversation, and that is, what are you working on now? And let's just start there. Well, I have an amazing new band. Uh, I have uh, my stepson, uh, Dynamite Delone, is my rhythm guitar player. He's just an amazing kid. Um you know, he's been in my life since, uh, 2003. I watched him grow up, you know, and, uh, and around two, I had heard on the road that he had gotten guitar hero. And I was like, oh yeah, he's going to be a guitar player. <laughs> and the next thing you know, he was playing bass and then he'd moved on to guitar. And, uh, he was, you know, in back in 2016 and 17, when I was, you know, teetering on whether I was going to do music or, or not. Uh, he was, he was part of what pulled me out of the funk man was, uh, you know, was him inviting me to, to come out and play drums with him and just jam, you know, and just, just, just get, get back in the studio and just, just see what would happen, you know, just see what could happen. And, um, uh, I totally give him credit where credit's due for, for helping me get back into music and reminding, reminding me of what my first love is. Um, and then I have, uh, this amazing, uh, guitar player that I found, um, named Ben Hosterman, who is just incredible. You know, I don't believe anybody can replace, uh, a, a Wayne Sweeney that we recently lost in the original saliva uh, it devastated me when, uh, he passed away. Um, and you know, I, I was very, there was a very high bar, you know, to, to, uh, that was set by Wayne and, and very, very big shoes to fill, uh, when it comes to his solos and, and, 
as far as the saliva music is involved. So, uh, coming up with a guitar player was, I thought, going to be a pretty daunting task, man. But I, I found this guy, Ben Hosterman, who's an amazing, not only an amazing lead guitar player, but also an amazing singer and does backups. And we do all kinds of harmonies. Uh, my bass player, Nine, is uh, also an amazing musician, um, is an absolute twin brother of mine. He's a total Kiss fan from the 70s and 80s. He, uh, we totally have the same heroes. Um, we send each other pictures of old pictures of Kiss every day. Like we, the first thing we do is text each other old pictures of Kiss uh, that we find that are really rare. You know, of like Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons and uh, Ace and Peter. Um, and then there's this freaking di just dynamo of a drummer I found uh, in uh, Justin Barber is just one of the most incredible drummers I've ever had the pleasure of playing with. Just an amazing, not only an amazing timekeeper, but just a sick ass drummer, man. And I've I've really never been uh, so so airtight with a band, you know? Um, and I'm just really excited about, uh, every show we do on the road. I, I'm, I'm more excited than the last show we played, you know, and, and that fire is back, you know, the, the, uh, the, as my dad would say, the fire is lit under our ass again, you know, and, and we're just having a lot of fun with it. And it's, it's really cool to, to get to involved my my son uh dylan and watch him grow and expand and just become a more incredible rhythm guitar player and you know we've started uh the the writing process and we began to uh ex explore what we're going to do uh as as far as the 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 next album and the the next single and we're just couldn't be more excited, man. Just excited to get back out there to the fans, excited to get back out there uh, on the road. And we're road dogs, man. We love to play. Well, I speak on behalf of everyone then. I'm super excited as well for new music. So, you know, count on me. I'm uh, curious now. Thank that brings you. us to our, of course, that brings us to our final question, Josie, uh, in terms of touring and in terms of uh, what you have lined up there i'd i'd love for you to to speak to that uh, we're we're gonna do some individual uh shows um just to get our feet wet we're gonna go out and do uh like 10 cities uh over the next month or so and then we're going out um with tantric and edema uh to to do like i think we're doing a, a like a two month long tour with them. So we're really excited about that. And, uh, it's the parental advisory tour. Uh, so we're, we're excited about, about going back out there and, uh, you know, it just gets better every night with this band. I just love, I love get, getting to, to play with these four guys. Well, Josie, I think it's absolutely amazing. Thank you for coming on the pod and having this conversation with me. I appreciate you so much for taking the time. This has been wonderful. Man. My pleasure, dude. Thank you so much. Maybe we can do it again. I would love to. I would absolutely love to. Absolutely.